on BYU Radio, this is Highway 89, Utah's most scenic musical byway. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. If you could see the site at the studio right now, you'd be really glad you tuned in. We've got lots of musicians from the BYU's Jazz Legacy Dixieland Band here, as well as the professor and leader of the group, Steve Call. And to top it off, Wycliffe Gordon is here. He's a legendary master musician, largely known as a jazz musician, and there'll be lots of jazz today, and that's what has made him famous, but he's one of those rare types of musicians you could plop down in a room with any kind of music making going on, classical, gospel, even rock or blues, and he'd be glad to be there and undoubtedly brilliant. So this is a great day for us. Wycliffe Gordon's also a composer, conductor, arranger, and educator. He currently sits on the faculty at the Manhattan School of Music and has held posts at the Juilliard School of Music and Michigan State University, too. The Jazz Legacy Dixieland Band has been a BYU staple for 30 years. They play New Orleans-style jazz and concertize throughout the United States and Canada, often internationally, too, and they played at the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington, D.C., and they regularly study and collaborate with jazz greats in the industry, such as Wycliffe Gordon. I'll chat with our guests throughout the show, but first let's start with a quintessential New Orleans piece named for a street in it, the city itself, a street that borders the French Quarter and crosses Canal Street. This is the South Rampart Street Parade. Thank you. 
That's the South Rampart Street Parade with BYU's Jazz Legacy Dixieland Band and special guest guest on trombone today, Wycliffe Gordon. And if you are not moving around at home, if you're not at least tapping your toe, you're not listening to this music the right way. This is Highway 89 on BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Uh, Wycliffe Gordon was born and raised in Georgia, Waynesboro. And Wycliffe, your father was a classical musician, piano and organ in a church. Ah, yes, he was. He studied classical music, and that's where he uh, played and he performed. So church. that's what you heard growing up. That is. Classical so, music. so country, gospel, classical. So, of course, you became a jazz player. Yes, <laughs> I did. I heard jazz a little later on, age 12 or 13, when I first heard jazz record, uh, recording of jazz, and that would be the New Orleans jazz, and that particularly of Louis Armstrong. And that just that just spoke to you somehow. Yes, it did. I, I didn't know what it was that I liked about it, but something about it just made me feel good, and I wanted to imitate uh, that. So I began just playing what I heard on the records. I didn't even really know what the word transcriptions mean. We use uh-huh. that terminology nowadays, but that's what I was doing when I was 13. So when you heard Louis Armstrong and heard that music, did you know what a big deal he was, or you just knew you liked it? I just knew that I liked it. I did not know what a big deal he was. Eventually, you know, later on, I began to read about him um, in the Encyclopedia Britannica. And then, you know, the more the older I got, um, the more I began to listen to the music. Then I started to check out and learn about who he really was. You know, all the different kinds of music you do, it sounds to me like music is just music to you. It is. And... uh, I have to give Duke Ellington credit for it, but he said there's two kinds of music. There's the good kind, and then there's the other kind. (laughs) Duke wouldn't say anything bad about people, and he didn't want to say anything bad about music. He just said there's the good kind and there's the other kind, because he was the ultimate optimist, and that's kind of where I come from. You know, I read that you were interviewed once by Beverly Sills, one of the opera greats (laughs) as a performer, and then she, she she led an opera company for so long, so successfully. And you wouldn't think of her as the ideal person necessarily, but again, music is music. What was that like being interviewed by Beverly Sills? Uh, it was great. It was a little surreal for me at the at the time that it was happening because it was during a, a fundraiser for Jazz at Lincoln Center, and she was our host uh, that year, and she interviewed myself, Wynton Marsalis, and one or two other folks. I'm not sure how I was chosen to be interviewed, but I was sitting there, and I was like, oh, wow, it's great just to be sitting here, you know, <laughs> with this opera diva, and you know, this great person, uh, Beverly Seals. And um, and we were doing New Orleans music, and particularly we were celebrating Louis Armstrong that year. And um, I've always been a lover of his uh, music, his contribution, and his legacy just to the world as a humanitarian. So it was um, the interview for me. I thought I'd be nervous at first, but it was really easy because I just spoke from the heart. Hey, that's the way to do it. Listen, uh, you were kind of picked out in high school by Wynton Marsalis while he was working with your band. And he was always one and and is one who's great for working and bringing up the next generation. Have you felt obligated to do that? Or is that just something that's come naturally? You seem to really thrive on playing with student bands as well as other ensembles. Well, it it comes naturally. And that was actually my sophomore year in college. I got Uh a chance to meet him and I, I was singled out. It wasn't really singled out because he came to hear the whole band and I wasn't very familiar with who he was. I heard about him. He'd won Grammys in classical and jazz music. But I was listening. I was really heavily into listening to Louis Armstrong at that point in time. And um, he came to our rehearsal, and we got a chance to play for him. And 
that was probably the first day everyone showed up for jazz band rehearsal, <laughs> <laughs> for one. And there were three or four guys that were pretty serious about learning jazz, and we got a chance to play for him. And um, it was a memorable moment for him. So he just got my number and just kind of said, stay in touch. And, of course, I could never catch up with him because he was on the road. But eventually I got a chance to uh, talk to him, and one thing led to another, a conversation to a tryout gig, to getting sent back home, practicing, preparing for another tryout gig that led to a recording and a temporary summer job that became my career with the uh, Wynton Marsalis Septet. Oh, that's great. And uh, we'll let you get take your place here. It'll take a minute to hop around all the microphones and everything. The next piece we're going to hear is a Duke Ellington piece. This is called The Mooch. And he actually, Duke Ellington, wrote this for a trombone player who was called Joe Tricky Sam Nanton in his band. So here's The Mooch from Duke Ellington.
That's the mooch from Duke Ellington and what's got to be some kind of soprano trombone at the end of that. We'll catch up with you about that, Wycliffe, in just a minute. I'm Stephen Cat Perry. Today, we have Wycliffe Gordon soloing with the Jazz Legacy Dixieland Band. Steve Call is the founder and leader of this award-winning ensemble over 30 years. Steve, we love when you come into the studio because you bring great music every single time. You have a pretty fun job. It's not a job. <laughs> it <laughs> is great. You make it, it that great. way. It is so, fun. Is, is it common for the tuba teacher to be a big deal on campus? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, in your case, it's really true. I don't really even true. know how to respond to that. <laughs> you, 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 make, you make so much happen from, from Oktoberfest to you name it. You've got something inventive going on. I want to ask you. This is so cool that you have students interacting with internationally renowned players. And so what do the students get when you bring in a top-notch player? Well, they get that opportunity to make that jump to the next level. Uh, We had a rehearsal with Wycliffe uh, this afternoon. By the way, for this program today, we had about a 40-minute, 45-minute rehearsal. And uh, immediately, as soon as he started playing, Everybody's time got better. Everybody started swinging together better, listening better. It's just like the whole band took a a leap forward. And that's one of the great things about having great artists like this come and play with us. Now, some would say that a Dixieland band really is a niche. I mean, most people have maybe seen the Dixieland band when they went to Disneyland. Or New Orleans. Yeah, Yeah, New Orleans. But is that something that you think is very much alive? You're keeping this alive. Is it still spreading, or is it a smaller I'm trying smaller to keep niche? it alive. It's not, no, it's not a big deal all over the country. In Europe, it's a much bigger deal. Uh, in fact, that's the first time I met Wycliffe was at the Umbria Jazz Festival in Orvieto, Italy in 1999, and we had the privilege of having him sit, having him sit in with our band. Mm-hmm. But uh, over there, uh, people would come up after our performances with my a New Orleans style, style band, and want to talk about Bix Beiderbecke or Jelly Roll Mort, and I'd say, oh, you must be a musician. And they say, no, I learned about these people in school. <laughs> and so, in Italy, of course. In Italy, in <laughs> France, you know, everywhere, yeah. So tell me about these pieces we're going to hear, because these, these are some classics. We're going to hear, uh, hear Bill Bailey. Bill Bailey is one of the great all-time Dixieland standards. Uh-huh. Yep. And then we're going to hear Someday You'll Be Sorry. This is a Louis Armstrong song. A Louis Armstrong composition. Uh-huh. And we're going to hear Wycliffe singing on it, too. All right. Well, three. we'll let you take your place. Right, uh, Bill you. Bailey was written by American songwriter Huey Cannon. This is 1902, and this song, of course, it's been on everything from the Jetsons to the Flintstones, you name it. Won't You Come Home, Bill Bailey. has been a feature. So we'll hear B- Bill Bailey, Won't You Please Come Home, and Louis Armstrong's Someday You'll Be Sorry.
someday You'll be sorry Well The way you treated me Was wrong Oh, Papa says it I was the one I was the one who taught you all that you know And now all your friends ask me To sing, sing, sing another song Oh yes Well, good luck Maybe with you And may your future be quite clear Dear There'll never be another Who treat you like a brother And someday you'll be sorry Oh dear That's first. Bill Bailey, won't you please come home and a Louis Armstrong tune, Someday You Will Be Sorry. Trumpet solo and vocal solo from our guest, Wycliffe Gordon. You're tuned in to BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Wycliffe is a venerated jazz musician and educator. He's recorded 17 solo albums and most recently, Dreams of New Orleans and Hello Pops, a tribute to Louis Armstrong. They're both available on his website and you can find them on iTunes. Yes. Wycliffe. Armstrong died in 71. You just barely overlapped him by a couple of years, never got to actually work with him. Have you ever gotten to play with people who knew him or who played with him? Oh, yes. It's been um, great. And uh, quite a few of those um, gentlemen and ladies are no longer with us. Not just folks that played with him in the band, but folks that knew him, uh, like Phoebe Jacobs, who... Mm. 
we just recently lost um, her. She passed on last year, and she was the head of the Louis Armstrong Educational, the vice president of Louis Armstrong Educational Foundation. And, you know, there's the Louis Armstrong House. So I've gotten a chance to interact with a lot of musicians that have played with him, but also people that knew him, and it was just great. Have you ever met anyone who could do the cheeks like he did it? Uh, yes. <laughs> was that just him? Yeah, yeah. Well, he, him and, uh, you know, Dizzy Gillespie was also known for that. But Pops, he just, you know, they called him Satchmo, Satchel Mouth. Uh, uh -huh. You know, he had that great big smile and, you know. Well, Hello Pops, that album, mm -hmm. tribute to Louis Armstrong. And there were some interviews that said that you put this out on vinyl. I did. I thought, you know, for me, it was nostalgic. Uh, the music, I love traditional jazz music, the early traditional jazz music. Some folks call it New Orleans jazz, uh, Dixieland, we refer to it as that as well. But I love that music, and particularly that of Louis Armstrong. So when my manager got an opportunity to... Uh, to book some gigs for me at a, uh, an APAP conference, an uh, arts presenters conference. Um, we put this brochure together that had many things, uh, shows that I would do. And where one presenter in France said, does he have a Louis Armstrong show? And she just said, yes. And I played <laughs> on many of the shows, but I always played trombone, maybe tuba, maybe would sing a song. I always work with trumpeters. But I was very familiar with Louis Armstrong's music, and I decided to not just... Um, record the music, but even to play, take on the role of playing the trumpet and doing the singing. Oh and it was nostalgic for me because I didn't just choose Louis Armstrong's hits, but tunes that were very poignant and meaningful to me throughout my career as a musician and as a growing young man. So um, in the spirit of nostalgia, my manager and I, we talked, I said, let's put this out on vinyl. So that's how the vinyl came about. That's great. Yes. I, I, you probably had people say, what? That's what it originally came out on. <laughs> We've got to get one of those. Yes. Uh, I'm wondering, when you hit Juilliard, you, from the very beginning, you've been in their jazz music program since they started that. Was there any sort of a, is jazz real music on this dedicated, you know, the level of dedication those Juilliard students have? Was there any question of that? Or, or did they, was that always recognized, that level of excellence? Well, we, jazz is still pretty young in, in, the, in the world of music, but in, in America, it's, it's now starting to receive the recognition that um, you heard um, Prof. Cole say earlier that it's this, this particular style and idiom of jazz that we're playing is, is highly appreciated in Europe. But just jazz in general in the United States, we're just now coming around, I think it was in 1991, when the, we finally, it became a national treasure. A lot of the colleges and universities are beginning to implement jazz studies programs so that the music can be available for those music students that are studying and um, so when it when it was um, implemented at Juilliard you know it was it, I have to say for lack of a better way of putting it it was a little strange at first because it was the new baby on uh -huh. campus but we were able to get some of the greatest students to come in audition and you know students that had attended other universities and whatnot and just had experience playing jazz and um it's since i think that it's been great of course with any new program there are bumps and bruises along the way <laughs> but it was it was well received a little strange at first but it's like no this music was developed right here um in america it's historically ours it should be a part of our conservatories and educational institutions. Absolutely. Tell me what your newest project is. What can we look for? Well, you said my latest record or recording was uh, Dreams of New Orleans. I just released a CD entitled um, 
the intimate Ellington is blues and ballads, tunes by Duke Ellington and Billy Strayhorn, and it was uh, with some friends of mine. I used trombone, a woodwind person, and violin um, on the front line for a change. And um, you know, so that's I think the that's Juilliard getting to you. Their second <laughs> violin <laughs> could be, could be, <laughs> but um, you know. And I'm just in the process now of just um, publishing all the music that I've written: music for big band, silent film scores, music for choir. Because oftentimes when I do commission it's a one-off so it's like we perform it and then it sits in my file cabinet so now I'm trying to publish it and make it available publicly so it can continue to be performed Wycliffe Gordon thank you we'll hear from you one more time but we want to hear music right now we're gonna while you take your place this is gonna be from American songwriter Hoagie Carmichael I don't know if you can listen to this kind of music and not be smiling I don't know there may be some sad ones but even they just the way they're played here is Lazy River Way down, I said, up the lazy river, down by the old mill run. Meet the lazy river by the noonday sun. I'm lingering in the shade of a kind old tree. Why don't you throw away your troubles and dream a dream of me? Dream a dream of me. I said, up lazy river, down by weather robin's zone. Meet two new bright mornings. As we move along, blue skies up above, and everyone in love. Mm, up lazy river, how happy we will be. Yes, mama.
up a lazy river, lazy river from Hoagie Carmichael, American Carmichael, American songwriter, the jazz legacy Dixieland band from here at BYU with Wycliffe Gordon on BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Wycliffe, we're hearing you play the trombone. You're also a gifted trumpet and tuba player. You play the piano, you sing, and uh, I heard the didgeridoo is now added to the list. Since when? Uh, uh, well, yes, I heard didgeridoo the first time I went to Australia in January of 1990. Um, had the opportunity to play it, but couldn't really figure it out. But that sound stuck when you hear the the uh, the great players uh, from Australia play it. And I heard that sound, and I was able to somewhat simulate it on trombone. So went back the next year, and I figured it out a little bit. And the gentleman that made one, he gave me one. And I still had that very didgeridoo from 19... Uh, 91 and um, so I've been playing I don't always take it out you know with flights and travel nowadays you want to take as little as possible but I've been playing it for quite some time it would be an interesting carry-on <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let me ask you this more than 20 years you've been touring you've been teaching how do you recharge do you do something that's not music or is music how you recharge uh, music is pretty much how I recharge. Someone asked me yesterday, I think one of the students, uh, you like to do anything other than music? And I said, yes, more music. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I'd, I'd like to maybe, you know, go to a game or something, maybe watch a movie. But, you know, for me, because I'm not just doing, you know, jazz, I'm writing, I'm composing, arranging, teaching, preparing, um, you know, scores for film. So it's never really the same thing. I'm not always just working on one thing in music. There are many different facets. Right. You know, New Orleans had some hard times a few years ago. Is yes. the music back? Do you get to go and play in the very place where this all began? Um, it is. Some of the oh. areas, I think most of the areas have been cleaned up, but the music, first of all, would never leave yeah. New Orleans because the music is in the people. So wherever they go, they're going to take the music with them. But, you know, back down in the uh, French Quarter, Basin Street, a lot of the places, the, the you know, that music is uplifting. So they need that to survive. And the music, in even shortly after the storm, they couldn't play in the places that they normally play, but they would play the music wherever they were. And now, you know, they're back in some of those places. And may need it more than ever, maybe. Yes, indeed. Okay, so if you're a trombone player and you've got to do the wah-wah sound, and so you've got your toilet plunger there, is there a preferred brand? Uh, no, <laughs> just you want to get one that fits. And in most um, okay. hardware stores, I mean, you know, there's the trumpet bell is one size, the uh, uh -huh. trombone bell is another size, and there's a standard um, plunger that would um, fit, but, you know, you need to maybe shave the inside of the inner lip out, but they're just a standard plunger, and, you know, um, nothing substitute for, substitutes for practicing. And so. if you've got them in the house in case there's emergency, I guess you're prepared for every contingency. Ah, uh, yes, but my plunger <laughs> won't be used for those purposes. No, no. <laughs> hey, you have a book out. It's called Sing It First, and that's from, isn't that from a Louis Armstrong quote? Uh, no, well, Louis Armstrong is my greatest example. It's not necessarily from a Louis Armstrong quote. It's a paraphrase uh -huh. of the gentleman that helped to um, compile the information in that book. And it's a part of a method book that I'm going to eventually put out that I've been talking about for 10 years. But my theory is that if you can sing something, you can play it. doesn't matter if it's a wind instrument, string instrument, percussion instrument. If you can sing it, that means that you've internalized the music. And if you sing it first, it'll be a lot easier for you to learn to play it because now you have the mu music inside of you and all you just have to do is practice you know to get it out you know there's so much to think about when you you're if you're playing through a chart and you've got certain chords you know a key you're in and you know the tempo and everything how do you get to the point where you let go of the thinking and just do what you said sing through the instrument what is the how do you make that breakthrough 
you sing it first. Okay. <laughs> and it's just like when you learn a song, when you listen to popular songs on the radio, you uh -huh. don't really think of a method. You listen to them. You sing along with them, and before you know it, you know the song. Mm -hmm. So if you're learning a jazz transcription or a solo, sing along with the solo. Had a master class with students, the uh, students earlier today, and they did it so well. Sang it first, and then try to play it on your instrument. So, you know, music is naturally a part of all of us. And some people say, I can't sing. I don't have a musical bone in my body. When you speak, your voice carries is a pitch. That's mm. a song. Your, your song, when you speak, when I listen to the inflections that you speak with, everyone has their own individual voice. And it, it's a song. Your voice carries a pitch. So everyone can sing. It's just a matter of um, practicing. I wonder if you'd tell me a little bit about Limehouse Blues. Uh, well, okay, before we ask this, because we're going to play this one, but okay. do you have one or two, I hate to try and pin you down to a favorite, but do you have one or two favorite Armstrong songs? Hmm. Well, Armstrong songs, wow. Um, well, one of the instrumental songs that we're uh, that I would say is a favorite of mine is called the Keyhole Blues because it's the very song that I listen to over and over and over and over again on a record that made me fall in love with uh, jazz. And it was a compilation, the five uh, record collections that put out years ago by Columbia. And um, one of the favorite songs that he sang. That is too difficult a question for me to answer. <laughs> it's totally not fair. I'd say What a Wonderful World. That's a popular song, but yeah. another song that I love that he does is called Hello Brother. It's not one of the more popular tunes, but I did re record it. Those songs that, you know, that, that meant something to me. And I'll, I'll, say, I'll put it this way. My favorite Louis Armstrong song is All of Them. All of them all of together. Them. Okay. All, all of them. I just, it's, it's too difficult. To Tell me then about Limehouse Blues, because we're going to hear that. Well, we're going to play um, Limehouse Blues. It was it was another standard. Uh, one of the good old good ones, as Louis Armstrong would say. And, um, you know, this, it was, and we call it a standard because it, it's a tune that's written that all of the musicians like to play. They learn it, they all play it, and they continue to play it. And it goes from early New Orleans jazz, this music was played, and even through the bebop musicians, big band arrangements have been done. And when you have a great tune, you know, we call them standards. So it's like setting the standard and we're going to give you our rendition of the Limehouse Blues. All right, let's hear this. This is from Philip Bram. And the nice thing about all of this Dixieland jazz stuff, like all jazz, is what you're hearing today, a lot of this is being created in the studio. We've got our band leader, Steve Call, pointing to different players like your solo's coming up, your solo, yours coming up, wind up, you guys are doing call and response. Anyway, uh, You'll never hear exactly this very same performance another time. Let's hear the Limehouse Blues.
<laughs> That's the Limehouse Blues. And if we have to end, I wish we didn't, but if we have to, what a great way to go out. That concludes this edition of Highway 89. We've been so lucky to hear the legendary Wycliffe Gordon on trombone, Dr. Steve Call, founder and leader of BYU's Jazz Legacy Dixieland Band. You've been hearing such great soloists and student players here. They are Chad Bacon on bass, Curtis Biggs trombone, Jesse Quebman Turley drums, Osti Robinson trumpet, Zach Wiggins piano, Jory Woodis clarinet and soprano sax, and banjo player Kristen Bromley. Wycliffe Gordon is famous for his talent as a jazz trombonist and trumpet player, also celebrated composer, conductor, arranger, educator. I'm just impressed that in 95 he redid for public radio the, the NPR theme for All Things Considered. That's a big one in my book. And he's on the faculty at the Manhattan School of Music in New York City. The Jazz Legacy Dixieland Band has been a BYU ensemble for 30 years. They play New Orleans-style jazz and concertize throughout the U.S. and Canada and often internationally. Thank you, thank you to all the musicians. What a great hour. We're so glad we got to be here in the studio with you live. And we're always glad to hear from you, our listeners. Email your comments, questions via email to highway89 at byu.edu. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. The recording engineer, Mark Waite, and the show's producer, Jackie Tateishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thank you for listening.